with your host, Toby G. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today is edition number 43 of Bubba and the Batflip, and Bubba and I will be covering second base, shortstop, and outfield. Uh, I guess we're calling them preview reviews, since we've already done previews of all of the positions. We're going back, taking a look, uh, giving a little bit of input about how the 60-game schedule might impact player values um, based on those uh, on those uh, previews that we've done and the players that we've talked about. So I hope you find this helpful with all of your fantasy drafting. We also touch on a number of different uh, exciting subjects like uh, Bubba's upcoming fatherhood and s'mores, different types of s'mores that are delicious. Gold panning even makes an appearance. We really cover uh, everything. So hope you really enjoy uh, this podcast uh, a lot. It was a lot of fun. Um, we will hopefully be back next Monday uh, with another uh, preview uh, review uh, of starting pitchers and relief pitchers before that season starts. So should be a lot of fun. Definitely check that out. All right, uh, let's hop to it. Uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and review. Always, always appreciate that. But most importantly, thank you so much for listening. I can be reached on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Bubba can be reached on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. Gold panning on the river today. Sweet. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bubba the Batflip. Bubba the Batflip 43. You can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick and my gold panning buddy over there. He's been uh, camping. He's been a s'mores just aficionado. And he's also a fantasy baseball genius. And he's got a poll out on Twitter for anybody watching live right now that we really need your help with. You can find him on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Tell me what's up, man. Man, I don't even know where to start this podcast, Bubba. Like, <laughs> first, I want to, uh, first, I want to apologize because my kids are still up. So you're going to hear them running around and back and forth in the background. But this is a family-friendly podcast. This yep. is potentially the last podcast before Bubba becomes a father, which is huge. I did go gold panning on the river. It's a new <laughs> hobby I'm, that, I'm, that I'm picking up. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, stupendous. Doing a little gold panning. Found my first little bitty, little bitty flake, you know? Um, so I'm hooked. But uh, And then I've got Kershaw, potentially. I, I'm starting with three aces, which I've never done before. I love it, it doesn't seem like a recipe for success, especially in a draft champions. But it feels too good to be true. Mm-hmm. We could call it like the cargo pocket aces because you'll need a third pocket or something. I don't know how to go about it. Yeah, cargo pocket's probably not good. But we need something because there'll be three pockets involved here. Back back pocket aces. There you go. Back pocket aces. Um, our, our jacket pocket aces. We, we can get creative with it. And uh, you never know where they're coming from. Like a true magician, a drafting magician. It'd be crazy. Uh, Whereabouts? We're gonna have, like you said, family friendly podcast. Before we get into the baseball news, people want to know. I want to know actually because I have an idea where you were. Were you up in like the um, Auburn area or whereabout were you gold panning? Because I, I, I did field trips when I was in school up in that area. Totally. Yeah, no, I was uh, I was near Downeyville. Okay. So I, I live um, I live on uh, on uh, this is so fun. We have like a live chat going on yep. to our right. It's unbelievable. It's overwhelming. Fanny um, packet aces. <laughs> <laughs> fanny, fanny packet aces. 
I love it. I Thank love you, it. Covey Knoll. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna draft him just for because of that. Oh, Covey Knoll, that's good. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, close to Downeyville. So I live on 49 on Highway 49, and so if you go north on Highway 49, I've actually never been beyond um, like a place called Oregon Creek. So just like 25 minutes north from where I'm, I live. And that, that's where we went. We went to the Sierra Buttes for camping, which was incredible. It's about an hour and a half away up north on 49 near Sierra City. And then on the way back, we just saw so many beautiful places by the river. We promised my oldest son that we'd go there. Um, you know, I'm not a fish. I'm, not, I'm I don't fish at all. I've got to learn how to do. Do you fish at all, Bubba? I go on fishing stuff. I don't. I am not. I would say a fisherman. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I have no idea. Right. So he found a line with a hook on it when we were on vacation. And so he just like brought it around with him everywhere, you know, trying to awesome. teach him how to be responsible with dangerous things. Um, <laughs> objects. No big that, that was my, that was my wife's logic on it. And, uh, and so anyway, so he just wanted to like go to the river with his hook and we bought him fish bait. So he's just like got his little string and his like little hook and he's putting it on there. And he's putting in the river. I'm gold panning. I mean, we're just, you know, we're just, we're people, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're just back to the land people, you yeah. know? So adventurous. Totally. I haven't showered in like a week. It's great. And, and the beautiful thing, beautiful thing about videos and podcasts, I can't tell. So it's cool. Um, we're, we're good there. Um, let's do some baseball talk and then we're going to get, we're going to mix in some more of your camping and your s'mores and all that. We got it. We got to talk baseball. Otherwise, we're going to lose everybody. Um, we're going to get there. But uh, last week we did first base, third base, catchers. We're kind of doing quick recap, sixty game season, how we evaluate positions, and we'll go over a lot of stuff. We're going to do it now for second base, shortstop, outfield. Got some listener questions to go over. Um, the recent news: there wasn't as much actually today, which I'm going to say is a good thing compared to the last few days. So that was very good. But uh, it's just more of a wait and see and. And I think in another week or so, I'll have a much better idea because now that the testing snafu for now seems to be figured out, we'll see where that keeps going. But let's start with second base. I know we've talked about this position in like February that it was a very – we felt shallow. Like it was weird. Like there was late options that were okay, but if you wanted the best of the best, you kind of had to get them early. How are you approaching second base now on a 60-game season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty similar. You know, I don't think the values, there's nothing that's changing too dramatically for me. Second base remains the weakest position. Uh, just, you know, outside of the outside of catcher, obviously. Uh, and it gets pretty thin pretty quickly. So there's obviously there's always a, a little bit of value late, but it's one of those ones that I really do try to target earlier rather than later. I think within my within the first hundred picks, generally I'll have a second baseman on my team. Um, and it's not necessarily because, because of second baseman, like you should be drafting the best player at that point in time, but it just seems like the guys that I like, the guys who are bringing what I want to, what I want to have, um, are oftentimes, uh, fall in that area. So, um, we'll get into that in a little bit. How about you? Yeah, you. How are you targeting them? I'm with you. It's, it's one of those, when I, when I look at the ADP and I was kind of bored last night, perusing it, it's, it's really good for the top. I'll say eight, nine. You could probably go 12 deep or so if you want, depending on how you rank them. And then there's kind of this gap of guys that you could take a risk with if you want. I'm not sure on a 60-game season, that's where I want my risk to be. And then there's some late targets like we've talked about with the Castros and the Kendricks and those guys that we'll talk about again tonight that I'm like, okay, I don't mind them. I probably prefer them to be a late-round middle infield option. I'm not sure if I want to 
wait my entire draft, like pick 250 to start taking my second baseman. But if worse comes to worse, there's there's options there. Cesar Hernandez and whatnot. So it's kind of one I either want to go early and get a real stud like you were talking about, or I'm probably just going to say screw it and we're going to go get other stuff and I'm going to grab a guy late and just hope that he, he can make it work like he has, like the back of his baseball card says, but it's only over 60-game season. So that's kind of where I stand on that one, pretty similar to what we talked about before. Kind of a trend, I think, when we review these positions. Our philosophy hasn't changed a lot. It's more to certain guys' values changed. And that's kind of going to lead us to when we talk picks one through or ADP one through 10, I'm basically doing since June 1st, there's been 12 online championships, the new Rotowire revamped online championships. There's been 12 and the top 10 right now in ADP, Glaber Torres, Ozzy Albies, Keston Hira is up to third, Cattell Marte's fourth, Johnny VR is up to fifth, Jose Altuve has dropped to sixth and he was like the number one or two for a long time. He's dropped to sixth. Whit Merrifield, 7th. DJ the Mayhew, 8th. Muncie, ninth. He's dropping a bit, too. And then Jeff McNeil, 10th. When you look at that top 10, Toby, who are some guys that you think get a boost in the short season? And then we'll talk about some fallers. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody that really gets a boost. The guy who I've been targeting, which I mentioned on the on the previous show, you know, I have a lot of DJ the Mayhew shares earlier just because I think the batting average is – is really solid. I think, you know, just being on the Yankees is great. Obviously with the positive COVID test, uh, it sounds like he was asymptomatic. And again, you know, we don't really know how long the guys have had it, you know, when they tested positive, things of that nature. So, um, you know, but a little bit of a pause, I think on him, actually, it'd be interesting to see. So he, he went as late as 89 in some drafts. I'm guessing those are the most recent drafts. So there's nobody who's really like, you know, I don't know if there's anybody who's particularly benefiting. Um, certainly like, you know, again, like the schedule in certain instances. So one example, I guess, would be Ketel Marte. Um, the Diamondbacks have one of the best. Um, well, actually, it's the best schedules for pitchers because they have uh, they only have three games at cores, seven at home, three games at cores against the Rockies. So I guess it's less so for Ketel Marte. So really, I don't know if there's anybody that jumps out at me within the second baseman. Uh, I always love Albies. I think if he's mm -hmm. going where he's going in these drafts around uh, ADP of 32, you know, I'm going to be really happy with that. If I can get him uh, there, um, you know, here has been, here has been moving up uh, a lot. And obviously being in the central is a little bit of a benefit, um, you know, and so maybe slightly him, but I don't know if enough to surpass guys. Like I'm assuming he's ahead of Javi Baez for instance. So within the top 10, I just think it's kind of like, it's kind of what it was, but Altuve falling a little bit does potentially provide a little bit of, um, you know, value there. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on those first 10? Yeah. Albies is one that it, you're, you're paying the price for him, but I still love because he gives you all the stuff, the homers, the the batting average, the runs, the stolen bases. He, he helps you a little bit of everywhere where you have to take him is kind of tough. Pick 32 right now basically on the 2-3 turn if you're drafting early or you're going to have to just take the plunge middle of the second round or so if you want Albie. So it's kind of a decision you have to make there. People are starting to buy into catching here more on these um, short seasons. I don't hate it. We've talked about him a lot, uh, different ways that he's developed his swing, and it might not be a fluke thing, but Albies is one guy that I could see the appeal for. Johnny VR is moving up like crazy. Uh, reports coming out of Miami now, and they're going to have him starting in the outfield. He's going to play some third base, some shortstop, so by the end, and with new NFBC rules, four games gets you eligibility. 
He's already second base shortstop. He's eventually going to gain outfield real quick. And then he might even gain third base. He gets middle infield, corner infield, and all the other positions on a shortened season with just anybody can go down with, with COVID or an injury real quick. That could be huge, like really huge. I know Alvi or Villar can be tilting at times and everything, but the stolen bases are legit if he can get on base and make it happen. So that's an interesting one. Not running to do it, but I could definitely see the appeal there. He in his value gains even more just on the flexibility that he would have. I don't understand the Altuve thing at all. I really don't. You even look at the updated ATC projections, projected at 303 with nine homers, four stolen bases, 28 RBIs, and 34 runs scored. That is outstanding. That is, he's almost, he's actually got a better average, a few more homers, and a few fewer steals than Ozzy Albies. And he's going about uh, 11 to 12 picks later than Albies, almost a full round after Albies. So I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. You can get Altuve at a value there. Uh, that's where I'd be looking. What do you think about Jeff McNeil? I know we're fans of McNeil. He's got the eligibility outfield, third base, second base. But, man, he's up to pick 101 now. He's a 10th second baseman off the board. His price is coming up. He's got as high as 85 already. So there's there's people looking to grab him. Are you willing to pay that price for McNeil? Or let's just say, would you rather wait um, you know, 30 picks and get like a Tommy Edmond? Yeah, I mean, if I can get McNeil at, at where he's going ADP-wise, 101, I'd be very happy. Um, you know, I mean, I think the way I guess I think about him a little bit is like a, a poor man's G, DJ LeMahieu, you know, because obviously he has the batting average. I think he might have a little bit more pop, you know, than LeMahieu uh, does. I mean, LeMahieu obviously hit a number of home runs, but McNeil has shown a little pop. And word is on the Twitterverse that he was he's been he's been hitting some some bombs and bratting practice. So take that for what it's worth. But I do like McNeil a lot, the position flexibility as well. The second base, uh, I think he's second base, third base outfield um, is really, uh, really beautiful, I think. So I'm, I'm excited about that. One thing to think about Albies, which you talking about him brought up for me is, is the impact of Freddie Freeman. Yeah. Because if Freeman is not ready to go right off the bat, you know, that lineup is a lot more thin than it maybe previously had been. Right. Um, you're talking about and again, like I'll just say, like, as we talk about these COVID-19 things, obviously, like we're hoping that Freddie Freeman feels much better and that this um, it doesn't end up being serious for him. And so just talking about this in the context of, of fantasy baseball, which is a little bit awkward, but it creates that that massive hole in the beginning of their lineup. And so then you have, um, you know, Acuna leading off, you know, Albies batting two, Ozuna three. And then you have you know, who batting for, right? Like it, it goes from a, a very strong top four to a very strong top three and not even a very strong top three. Ozuna as your three is okay, but it's not necessarily great. So I think that could impact um, Albies' values a little bit, as well as the fact that he won't be able to build that, that volume that he normally does. How do you feel about McNeil though, now that I just went on that long tangent? I get it. Um, I'll say that much. I, I understand the McNeil love. I'm just, I, I guess I keep getting so concerned when I, I dove deep into him this, this preseason so long ago now, thinking about it. And when his power developed, his batting average took a massive fall. So I'm trying to figure out which guy is he? Is he the average guy? Is he the power guy? Or can he somehow do both? Um, projections have him for 294 with seven homers and three stolen bases. That's not bad, especially if I pick 101. That's really good. But I'm trying to figure out, like, when he – I have to pull up my article again, but when he went for power late second half, his average dropped, like, like 255, 260-ish. It took a massive drop. 
and I'm trying to figure out what the uh, the tweak is there that made that happen. I don't know. So yeah. I see that I see the McNeil love. I know there's a lot of people on him. I just haven't um, I haven't bought in because like a guy going right next to him is Mike Moustakis. I'll take Mike Moustakis. Uh, Kevin Biggio is coming later. Tommy Edmond. I kind of probably go those directions, but I get the McNeil appeal. So that is an interesting one. Yeah. And I think strategically, like one thing to consider is like you mentioned, I mean, there's certainly other profiles available around there that are really good. Like Moose, you know, for me, I'm oftentimes because I'm so an FEC focused, like I'm really trying to build up that batting average early, as I say a lot on the show. So for anybody who's new listening to the show or watching the show, cause we're now live, like you can see our faces in Twitter, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, um, building that batting average is really important. So that's one, one thing that Moose isn't going to necessarily get you. But again, I, I'm okay falling behind on power a little bit early on. So it's just something you need to consider as you balance that team if you're playing Roto. Yeah, no doubt about it. Now let's go to the next 10 real quick. So we kind of hit on all of those guys. You got Moustakis, Biggio, Edmund, Escobar, Hampson, and then 16 is McMahon, who's going about 15 picks after his teammate Hampson. Lux, Newman, Brandon Lau, and Rugnit Odor round out the uh, 11 through 20. This is where I was kind of saying, like, there's there's guys, Moustakis, Biggio, Edmund, I get. Then there's kind of this middle area that's – there's you could definitely see the appeal, and then definitely there's some question marks involved. What do you feel about this 11 through 20 range? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I want to – I want maybe in towards the beginning of it. Um, and then if it gets beyond that point, there's maybe one guy who interests me. So we've talked about Edmund on the third base podcast, so I won't go too in depth there. I do like him a lot. My one concern is plate appearances. Obviously, like, you know, I think they'll move him around and he'll get a lot of plate appearances. I found myself in a draft where I had the opportunity to draft him and I didn't, I went a different direction. And in the back of my head, I was just playing out like, what if it is only five or six days a week that he ends up playing. And if I'm drafting him this high, I really want to be confident in the plate appearances and where he's going to bat as well. Um, and so that was my only hesitation there. I do like him and maybe in like one draft, I will get him. Um, I do think Biggio worries me a little bit because the AL East, while the pitching is bad, it is very lefty heavy. I think we covered that uh, earlier. Um, so I don't want to overemphasize the importance of schedule, but um, I believe when we did the analysis, it was in the AL East, we had 10 left-handed pitchers and 15 right-handed pitchers. And so 10 was the most of any division. And so that that's a little bit of a concern because he does have those, uh, he does have those splits. Um, and the batting average is, is a little bit, uh, a little bit nerve wracking. I do like Moose. We covered him in third base. I won't go into that, but if you are looking for something power wise there, the other guy I do like is Ryan McMahon. Um, you know, he's got the second base, third base eligibility, which is really nice. He started to put it together. It seemed like towards the end of last year, at least from a skills perspective, the contact was up exit velocity was up. If you look at those rolling average graphs, a hard hit rate was up. He's got a lot going for him. Again, you have the Rockies, the course split. And so, you know, maybe you start him at home. Maybe you sit him on the road. If you can get yourself another nice, like Howie Kendrick or middle infield type guy to rotate in there. But I do like him. I've got him in a few teams. How about you? Yeah, the McMahon call, I'm with you there. That's why I put out a poll last night. Um, before, you know, the, the universal DH and all this stuff, McMahon was going pretty well ahead of Hampson, it felt like, in drafts. Then all this started happening recently, and now Hampson's ahead of McMahon. So I put a poll out, like, which one would you want? 
it was about 60-40 McMahon over Hampson. And I'm all about McMahon because I'm pretty confident in his playing time where Hampson's kind of – I still am not 100% sure that it's, it's his deal. So that, that's an interesting one there. Uh, I, I do the, – the Edmund call is one that I want to pay attention to because I'm with you. Playing time is as huge as it is. If he's only playing five or six games – like six is great because they're playing six or seven. But if he's only playing five games a week, that's still four plus at-bats a week over 12 weeks. That's 36 at-bats. You start doing the math, that adds up quickly. And they have him uh, – roster resource has him hitting seventh. So that's also a big detriment. You know, almost That's where I've always had the uh, – the argument, like, do you want Colton Wong leading off for the Cardinals, or do you want Tommy Edmond batting seventh? And it's like a Edmond, yes, I'll agree, is the better offensive talent. But when you go to Wong leading off those extra at bats, maybe run scored, where are we going with this? It's just the little things like that. Um, I'm with you on Moose, though. Moose is a guy for any listeners to the show long enough. Moose is near and dear to my heart. And if you want a guy that could legit hit 15 plus home runs on a shortened season in Cincinnati, Moose is your guy. So I think there's upside there. He's not going to help you. He's going to hurt you a little on average. He's about 250, 260. Not going to steal you many bags, but he should help you elsewhere. But overall, kind of out on this range. Lux, um, he's battling uh, COVID and hasn't really practiced at all. So who knows where he's going to be? They're going to be moving guys around that lineup. Eduardo Escobar, no one's talking about Eduardo. What's your thoughts on Eduardo? Like coming off a monster season, second base, third base eligible. And it just seems like we all kind of push him to the side. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I apologize. I think we're having a little bit of a temper tantrum in the background uh, up in this piece. So apologies in advance. It is bedtime, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, Eduardo Escobar, he just strikes me as a guy who kind of hit it. Um, I think he got everything right last year, yeah. pulled a ton of fly balls, you know, wasn't necessarily barreling it, but getting a lot of fly ball, uh, a lot of home runs, which isn't necessarily like some players. I think that's sustainable, like an Alex Bregman. Nolan Arenado, guys who routinely pull their fly balls. Um, but he he doesn't necessarily have a history of doing that. And so it could be that, that you know, this is the first year of something bigger. But he really strikes me as a guy who just got kind of all, uh, everything going for him last year. So I'm kind of steering clear. And again, batting average and, um, you know, and stolen bases aren't necessarily where he's at his peak. I'm with you. I, I imagine that we're going to see the bouncy ball again. But, yeah, if you look at his overall profile, he did everything you could possibly want out of a guy and just he excelled at like the 90th percentile of what his results were. So I'm with you there. The other guy I'm going to ask you about, and I know we talked about him in the, in the full season, and I was willing to take chances on him, especially in like best ball formats. Even I'd probably still do it in best ball formats, especially when he's the 20th second baseman off the board. He's going around pick 226 in the online championships right now. That's Ruben Odor. We know how bad it can get. Like the average can be horrible. We've also seen him hit 250, 260, 270. The power is legit. He can steal some bags. Um, projection sites have him anywhere from 10 to 11 uh, homers, four to six stolen bases, hitting 225 to 236. Like the average is going to crush you, but he's going to help you everywhere else. Do you ever foresee yourself in the shortened season taking a Ruben and Odor? Uh, it's certainly a possibility. I mean, I, I when I dive into him, for some reason I can't pull the trigger. You know, I've been kind of down on him for a couple of years now. Um, and I think that the thing that I noticed that was different for him towards the end of last year is he did start to put it together from a skills perspective. So his, his chase rate was down, which was big for him because he's always been a really bad chase rate guy. So he was being a little bit more selective at the pitches he was hitting. He was hitting the ball. Um, he's always hit the ball on the ground at a decent clip, but he was doing that at, at very well. And he was also combining that with, with improved contact. So I think there are reasons why he is, he w- could be better and why he could 
kind of move that uh, forward, um, that improvements that we saw in the second half forward. So he's certainly worth the risk, I think, where he's going. I just, this area of the draft is a really difficult one because I think there's so many guys that I really like. Like, I just, I absolutely love this area of the draft. And so I find myself not getting him, I think, for that particular reason. Um, but I can see why people are interested, especially in a shower, shallower position. If you want to take a chance late on him, you know, I, I can see, I think some of the skills would support the possibility that he he could become a better hitter um, and that he is becoming a better hitter. He's still pretty young. He's been around for a while. Yeah, he's one of the wild cards. We talk about taking our chances, and you, you could take a few here and there. He's a guy I could see a justifiable reason that people want to, especially if you're going to use him more for middle infield than your actual second baseman, where you know if it's not going good after a couple of weeks, you drop him and you pick someone else up. I'm cool with that. He just has a – if anybody can run hot for a few weeks, it's a guy like Rudy Odor. So – I that's a game changer type guy. If you feel comfortable in the rest of your roster, I, he's very intriguing to me. Uh, the last guy I'll ask you about here because I was going to move on and I saw this name, a guy we've talked about a lot, but he's he's moving up. He's 18th right now in ADP at second base, going to pick a 196. It's Kevin Newman. We know he's got the good average, or he should hit for a good average when we talk about Newman. A little bit of power, some good speed. They're all projecting him for about six steals, which is really good in the shortened season. I just don't know if I'm, I'm I'm ready for that price increase on a guy like Kevin Newman, where I can, you know, maybe Brian, his teammate Brian Reynolds probably goes a little earlier. But there's other guys like if you want an average guy, you almost can go like Luis Urias or someone else later. What's your thoughts on a Kevin Newman going up to 196 now? Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any Newman uh, on any of my teams. Just not that interested with the other guys who are available in that area. Um, you know, the dual position eligibility is certainly interesting. Um, the batting average potentially could be, you know, very good. I think projections put him around two, eight, eight in the two eighty ish range, but guys with that little power, I think are really hard to roster, even with the stolen bases in the shortened season and other offensive players that are going around that, that spot don't necessarily have those same limitations. So if you find yourself with a, with a lineup that you've got a lot of power, maybe you're a little short on, on batting average. You need those stolen bases to come through. I can see that potentially happening. And just uh, uh, one thing about stolen bases, because they are critical. And that's one of the things is hard to like, see, be like, oh, six stolen bases. Like, oh, that's actually really good in this shortened mm-hmm. season. Right. Um, but uh, what you need prorated for 37% of the season, 46 stolen bases is 80th percentile in like the main event. NFBC main event. It's pretty similar for like a DC uh, or for the online championship as well. Um, and so that's just something to consider is, you know, you got those 46 stolen bases that you want to get to or somewhere around there. So how do you piece that together? It's important. I think just context to have as we think about this. So it could be that Newman is the guy for you. He hasn't been for me just because the way I build my team normally. No, it's a great point. That's why I, was, I kind of thought about, I want every guy's not going to be a stolen base guy. It's just not going to be possible, but Ideally, I'm, I'm trying to build guys that can average four to five steals. Like, so if this guy's not going to get any, this guy's got to get 10 type thing. And that's the goal. And I guess it pencils out to about 50, 50 stolen bases. So that'd be ideal in a perfect world. So if Newman's getting six steals, that's huge. That helps you in another category. And that's why um, you're seeing the VRs go up more. We'll talk Mondesi in a minute. As much as you might not like rabbits, if a guy can steal your 15 bags right now, oh my goodness. Like, that, that is tremendous. So, 
it, it kind of opens the door a little bit differently on a, on a shortened season. When it comes to the rest of the second baseman, 21 on, there's some interesting names here, like Luis Reyes, like I said, if you want uh, if you want average. Colton Wong's there, if you believe he can do it and steal bags. You got Howie Kendrick, Starling Castro, Cesar Hernandez, Nico Goodrum, all these guys we've talked about. Mauricio Dubon, I'd be a crook if I didn't mention his name. So many guys down here that could mix and match and help you basically late in your draft or some are even going free in drafts. Anybody uh, after pick 20 that are, that are kind of looking at you like you want to have a piece of them by in the draft season? Yeah, I mean, there's actually a few. Um, I think Howie Kendrick is one guy. We covered him last week, so I won't go into too much depth. Um, I think he's really interesting to me um, just because the bat- the batting, the skills are great. You know, the playing time is, you know, it's still a little bit of a question mark. Um, oh, my God. Brian Bloomfield just said, tell Toby we just filled our DC and KDS is due in five minutes. Baba. <laughs> Can you believe that? Oh, oh. my gosh. I would it's say I would say I would say what KDS you want, but Ryan's listening, so I might not want to go there. I'm I was this it was there's literally had three people in it when we started this, so uh, <laughs> I don't mind talking about my KDS. Um, so let's see, everybody, I'm going to talk to you about my KDS. I kind of like the middle rounds or the middle part. Perfect. I mean, in, in an ideal world, I think I get I get a a, a a Cole or Degrom. I think would be an ideal situation or scenario. I don't mind taking Scherzer there. And we haven't, um, we haven't gotten, we haven't gotten to shortstops yet, but I also think that Trey Turner is potentially a, a, a guy um, because of the stolen bases that you mentioned. Welcome that aboard. Really interesting. Welcome aboard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm swimming over, swimming yep. through that river over to the, to Trey you're, Turner. You're mining Canada, for but, Trey Turner gold. I know you did something uh, today. You know, oh, just, you know, <laughs> um, so I do have to set my KDS, but, so the guys that I really like, the question is, can I do this simultaneously? Yes. Um, so the guys that I really like um, are Howie Kendrick, which we talked about. Again, the playing time is a little bit of a question mark, but once they get in the flow of the season and you have a better sense of what that might um, look like, um, then I think that um, you know that'll make it easier to know when to when to ha- when to put him in, you know, when not to, um, things of that nature. Um, so him, Starlin Castro is a guy that I love. He's got the dual position, uh, eligibility, which I think is, is really critical. Um, and I just think that he had some changes towards the end of last year that we've talked about on previous podcasts, but where he was able to, um, you know, lower the launch angle was, I think the really key one for him. And then he also, all right, KDS set, boom, boom, boom. boom. Um, and so, uh, I'm going to do a little thank you to Ryan. Uh, and so, so I, I think, so Castro, um, I think he makes a ton of contact. He's been consistently good and he's just been in positions, you know, outside of New York with the Marlins the last couple of years where even when he's shined, he hasn't really shined where people gave him a lot of love. And I think in the Sierra area where he is right now, he should play every day, especially with some of the opt outs that they've had. Um, he's going to bat like, potentially third in that lineup, which could be absolute gold after Turner and Eaton. So Turner, Eaton, uh, Castro, Soto, I think is what they have the lineup as right now. I mean, that is a beautiful spot to be in. I'm actually kicking myself because I didn't, I didn't get him in my other DC. I kind of, I played a little bit. I wanted my second catcher. I went with Yadi Molina. So I'm a little disappointed. So those are two guys that I really like. I think Cesar Hernandez, which I'm sure you'll touch on. Um, is another good one where speed batting average in a good uh, Indians lineup where I think he's going to get an opportunity to steal a lot of bases. 
Nico Goodrum is a good guy to have as just kind of that Swiss Army knife that you can kind of move in and out of the lineup. And then there's this guy on the San Francisco Giants that I – oh, wait a second. I'll leave that I'll leave that one to you. I'll leave that one to you. Who do you like, Bubba, later yeah, on in second base? I, I echo the Kendrick. I echo the Castro. Like Castro is a guy I find myself just flocking to left and right. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, big fan as well. They project him to hit fifth right now. If somehow he could just move to the top of the order, just move that power down a little in that Indians lineup, his value would just skyrocket for me. I'd be a huge Cesar fan. So – those are great. Um, Colton Wong, if I could buy into that, that was real, I'd be there. I, it's hard for me to buy into that was real with Colton Wong. Uh, you mentioned Goodrum. We talked about him. Mauricio Dubon, that's who you're talking about. I believe the uh, the average is legit. The power is very, very solid. Can play in that ballpark. He's going to play all over the place. So he starts with second base eligibility. He's going to get outfield eligibility. Hopefully they even move him around some more. So he's going to be very valuable after pick 300 with that uh, that kind of asset. And then the other guy that I was looking at last night, um, there's two guys actually. One guy I picked 344, David Fletcher. I was reading some beat reporters. Um, the Angels and Mr. Madden are in love with David Fletcher and his his multi-position eligibility. It's almost like Madden is a fantasy uh, uh, manager because he's shortstop, outfield, second base, third base. So if you do the math, it's middle infield, corner infield, and outfield right now. Uh, he'll probably play. This is the only downside. Well, few downsides. Main downside is you don't know if he's going to play four games a week, five games. How are they going to move him around? He's kind of like the John Birdie of the Angels, but he doesn't steal a ton. So it just depends on how many games does he have. Not saying draft him just now, but in a DC best ball could be nice. And just pay attention. If he somehow they're going to you know, use him like a Ben Zobrist, which Madden like to do, where he's getting drafted, it's very valuable. Because you look at his hit tool, his hard hit rate, it's just bat-to-ball contact skills. Very, very good with David Fletcher. So he's interesting at 345. And the other guy... People can laugh at it all they want. But he's going to pick 356, and his name's Robinson Cano, and he's batting fourth for the Mets. Like, the Mets aren't flashy by any means, but you have a cleanup hitter that still hits for a very good average with some power drafted 356. You could do much worse than Robinson Cano. Uh, the, the, the hitting skills have not changed for Cano. He's just getting older. So I think he's, he's another guy. If you need someone super late, Cano's in play as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, right. and that one guy that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, just because I have um, I've hyped him in the past, is Adam Frazier uh, on the Pirates. So if you're in a pretty deep league, you know he's got second base outfield position. Uh, I've seen the notes on him so far. It looks like he's going to play every single day. You know he does if he can get that pop up a little bit. You know he, he the batting average is going to be solid. Uh, he's always hits like around 277. He's almost like a Chris Davis. Uh, guy who hits like the same average every single year, but he's got a really solid profile, I think, overall. And last year he was never fully healthy, so I'm interested to see what he does. So he might be a kind of a light, late round snag for me. Sweet. Let's move to shortstop now. The ever oh so deep shortstop, like ridiculously deep shortstop. You mentioned some of the speed guys up top, and there's just so much throughout the entire draft at the position. How are you uh, attacking the shortstop position in a 60 game season? Um, yeah, and a shortstop with the shortstop, I think it's just so deep. I think you there's a lot of flexibility in how you can approach it. Um, obviously, you know, it's just so deep. It's just so deep. And for that reason, oftentimes, you know, unless I get exactly what I want, you know, so like let's say that's like a bias in the third round or something like that. Um, unless I get something like that, then I'm a little bit um yeah, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit hesitant. Um, uh, 
uh, to, to, to go after shortstop that early because I'm going after the pocket aces. But I do think that Trey Turner, you know, your boy, and, um, you know, I think he's a really interesting way to start out your team this year. Because one thing that I've noticed now as we go through starting pitchers kind of getting moved up a little bit early is that, um, you know, there's some really good guys like within the, the top maybe 35, 40, you know, and so if you can get um, for starting pitchers, so if you get, if you start out with a Turner, for instance, at six, and then you come around and then you pick up best starting pitcher available there, and then coming back around, oftentimes your Giolito, your Kershaw, guys like that in a 15 team league are available again. So if you don't necessarily want to do the pocket aces, but you want to get two starting pitchers early on, you know, then that can be a place that's, um, you know, that's like a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty nice way to start out your team, I think, because that speed is just, uh, it's so, it's going to be so critical. It really is when you have a guy like that on your team in this shortened season, it feels at least easier to build out your speed from that point forward. Um, but yeah, so Baez is the guy that I kind of like the most just in terms of where he's going. Um, if he drops a little bit, I don't have any of the other guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. For the, and so like what I'm really, where I'm really fishing normally is kind of shortstops 13 through, you know, uh, 19 or so, you know, I love Tim Anderson, you know, Marcus Semien, uh, Ahmed Rosario, Jorge Polanco. I actually really like Jorge Polanco this year. Um, and then uh, Paul DeYoung with, with the, with the situ- with the schedules, the way that it lines up and in that lineup, hitting every day in the, uh, in the two spot. I mean, that's going to be an amazing spot for him to be fully healthy. So, so I, I like waiting a little bit, but just kind of into the middle rounds. How about you? What's your approach? Yeah, we're very similar. Like I want my Trey Turner up top. I could see some Francisco Lindor. I'm not sure if I'm as in love with him on the shortened season. I, I could still get there. You know, they project him still for uh, eight stolen bases, which is great. But you got a guy like Trey Turner who's projected for 15. Like that's a massive difference. Massive difference, and the only difference in power is three home runs. Everything else is pretty much the same across the board. So uh, Trey's my guy there. I've, I've been Trey forever, but short in season, I think it enunciates him some more. So I'm a big Trey Turner fan. I think um, Baez is another guy. I've got him in a lot of places already, and he's climbing up because he's a five-category contributor. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. It's not that these other shortstops aren't good. It just shows to the depth of the position, like you were saying. So I'm good with knowing the player pool and going, okay, Trey Turner's a game changer for my roster. Lindor's pretty good too. Like I'm not going to knock that. Baez does what he does at the uh, you know two three turn if you're up in that neck of the woods, and then you can just drop down if you want. Like if you want to go Johnny VR, I used to hate it. I'm not going to talk anybody off of it this year, just for the upside of what he could do. I understand it, but I think Bobachet's tremendous. I'm always a Bobachet guy. I know you're not a Bobachet guy, but he's another five category guy that I can definitely see. Uh, coming through this year, he's projected 275, eight homers, seven stolen bases. Those seven steals will stand out quite a bit. But after that, I'm with you dropping down. Give me like Tim Anderson going to pick 100 is criminal. He's a top 10 shortstop by season's end easily, if not higher. I, I'm, uh, I know you're a believer on him. I'm a believer on him. So like you mentioned, Tim Anderson's, the Mud Rosario's, the Polanco's of the world. There's lots of things you can do when you get past pick 20. There's even more. So um it's such a deep position. If you just know the player pool, you can easily get your guy if you want, or you can wait and fill up other positions of need 
and still be totally fine later in a draft. It's not an issue. Um, it's one of those that you can just draft one later or you could draft three throughout your draft. You could have them at shortstop, middle infield, and utility and have three stud bats. Like there's so many different ways to build your team. So all depends on personal preference. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that point is is super important is there's so much flexibility in that position that in a lot of ways you can you can adapt, right? Like it's such a great position to have open as long as you don't wait too long mm-hmm. um, to be able to fit whatever your need is um, at that particular time. Well, there's also like the flexibility guy. Like I'm not a Glaber Torres guy, but he's got second base. Uh, I'm not a huge Machado guy. But he's got third base. So now all of a sudden you can have four shortstops. Like there's there's ways you could do this if you want to get really weird. When we get packs pick 20, there's the massive multi-position guys. There's lots of different ways to attack. But when we're looking at picks one through 10, Lindor Turner story, it's the typical three. It flipped a little bit because towards the end of uh, February, mid-March, Turner was going three in that list. Now he's creeping up to one. Then you got Bregman down to four, Tatis, Mondesi, Torres, Baez, Bogarts, and VR. So Baez has gotten quite a move up. He was around 10 or 11, it felt like, in March. And Johnny VR, we already talked about him in second base, getting quite the boost. Um, so I, I know you talked to Trey Turner earlier. I know you talked to Baez. Anybody else that you think's too high or you know coming up too much in this range or, or – um, has fallen too much in the top 10? Um, not really. I don't think so. I mean, Mondesi is Mondesi, right? It's like you're taking him there. You kind of know, you know what the, um, you know what the risk is. You know, you know that there's the injury history, the shoulder now twice. Um, but you also know the speed is, undeniable. And so I think people are more willing to take those risks now. So you see that ADP moving up. I don't really have any shares of him just because I prefer to build my speed a little bit differently probably, but um, yeah, it's at least, it's a, um, it's a, it's a conundrum uh, for, 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 for owners, I think drafting him. Um, But outside of that, I think top 10, you know, looks pretty, pretty solid uh, overall. Yeah, it's hard to argue. And when you go almost 30 deep at this position, it's uh, I know personal preference is not great analysis, but you're grasping like at straws between differences in some of these guys. It's really what you're trying to build your team with. Like, could you make an argument that Xander Bogarts is better than Baez and Torres? Probably, like easily. Um, Can you say Fernando Tatis Jr. should be in the top three? There's guys that will definitely argue that with you. So um, there's definite things about it. Just basic moral of the story, Trey Turner – Baez, kind of the guys we're targeting in this top 10 range, it feels like. Um, 11 through 20, you got Bo Bichette. I know that we talked about Bo to the to our blue in the teeth. And I know we're, we're going to differ on that one quite a bit. I know. But um, Manny Machado, Simeon, Anderson, Correa, Rosario, Seeger, Andres, Polanco, and Newman kind of hit on some of these guys here. Before you go um, into your likes and dislikes here, I do want to ask you about Manny Machado. I know it's not a guy we've been huge on, but I've heard a lot of – analysts that I highly respect that are starting to buy into him more on the shortened season with the flexibility and just the shortened season aspect of it with Machado. Do you find yourself doing that? Cause I still can't buy into him just yet. No, nah, I can't, I can't buy okay. into him necessarily. Um, you know, I think the one benefit that he has that a lot of Padres um, have um, is that they get the seven games at Coors. Yeah. yeah. So over 10% of their games are going to be at Coors, which is pretty phenomenal. Uh, for them. Um, I like it more for Will Myers than I necessarily like it for, um, for Machado. I just think that Machado, um, 
Yeah, I just I I can't I can't buy into it. I think you know, and again, like I think there's been a lot of commentary on like the strength of schedule type stuff, and in a lot of instances, it's um, you know it's small, it's small uh, small potatoes. I do think there are some extreme examples um, where it could be you know where where it may factor in a little bit more, but I just don't I don't love NL West hitters generally speaking. I think they've got the Ross deal non LA. Um, uh, NL West hitters. I'm just not a huge fan of. So I just, the lineup around him isn't that great. Um, I think he's been good, but I just don't, uh, I just want to see it outside of Camden, you yeah. know, a little bit more. And, and I may be, you know, I may be honing in on that a little bit too much, but now we're sharing I, similar sentiments on that. Like I'm, I'm still, I'm still too concerned with what I saw last year. Like the cooler, the cooler thing's awesome. Like you can't deny that's pretty awesome, but uh, the the overall scheme of it, they're still playing thirty games in San Diego, so it's tough. Yeah. But what else do you like in this ten through uh, twenty or eleven through twenty? I know you mentioned a few guys earlier. Yeah, I mean, uh, Semyon is interesting. I think I think he does get a little bit of a ding uh, just because he is a guy. Scott Jensen has talked about this on on his pod, and I think it's uh, really sharp. Like. He's a guy who who last year benefited a lot from volume. He played 162 games, 700 plus plate appearances, something that's really hard to replicate. And now with a shorter time frame, yeah, maybe he plays all 60 games, you know. And so and so from like just a scale perspective, it's it's relatively similar. But I, I do think that there was improvements in his game last year, though. I mean, like when you look at the barrel rate, he started using that lighter bat. I actually did a video breakdown of him for about like. Uh, seven minutes if you want to listen to me talk for seven more minutes, which I highly doubt after this. Um, but, you know, he used started using a lighter bat. Barrel rate went up. Everything was much, much better. So I really do actually like him. I just don't think he necessarily has the same uh, – he's not as good as he would have been going into that um, the longer season. Uh, Tim Anderson I love. Uh, I love Tim Anderson. I mean – Yes, it's it's twelve team league, so I think in in DC, in uh, fifteen team leagues he's going higher than this. But gosh, get me in some of those OCs where he's going around hundred. I know Jeff Erickson got him at like pick one twenty six, which that's, I just thought was criminal. Right. I mean, that's it's unbelievable value. Yeah, I just I just think he's really good. He's in the best division that you possibly can in can be in. Um, you know, like he he hits for a decent amount of power. He steals bases. He hits for average. Um, there's big swings, but you know, like that, that happens with that type of player. The same thing can be said for Javi Baez going much earlier than he has. And he's shown growth. Like, you know, last year he showed tremendous growth, contact rate improvement, ground ball rate going down. So everything's going in the right direction. He's still a young guy. So I just absolutely love him there. Um, I love, uh, Ahmed Rosario. I think he's very similar to Tim Anderson. Um, with the schedule. And I think that now without, with the NLDH, I think he's going to steal bases a lot. The only challenge is he's probably going to be further back in the lineup. So he may not get as many plate appearances as some of the other guys. Um, Jorge Polanco, I mentioned, I love, I love what he's putting down. I just think he has the profile for this type of a season where he's in a great context, both the lineup and the divisions that he's going to be going up against. He's a switch hitter. He's hitting number two in that lineup. He's got great contact skills. He hits the ball in the air a lot. He's got just enough pop. Um, and he was injured second half of last year. And so the reason why he fell a lot, I think, is because people 
saw the um, saw some natural regression, I think, from the start because he was so hot, he was so hot last year. Um, and then uh, not even Hansel, Hansel Robles level hot. Um, and uh, and so th those are the guys that I think I'm targeting. I would love to get Polanco if I've already addressed speed, kind of in that 140, 150 range, I think, um, is where I'd be looking. He went 125 or 115, I think. Maybe it was 115 in my earlier draft. So how about you? What are you what are you thinking of these these guys right here? Man, if Polanco gets pushed up like that, it's gonna be disappointing for me. Um, I mentioned my Bichette love, but I get it. Like if, if you believe in projections, 60 picks later, Tim Anderson is projected to do the same thing, if not better. So like I'm not gonna deny that. I, I love Tim Anderson, but I also agree that Tim Anderson should be a top 10 shortstop, which would make him go ahead of Bo Bichette. So that's where I kind of stand on that one. There's some outliers to me in this scenario. Uh, I do love the Metrosario, especially if he's leading off. That's a big, big plus uh, with the Mets. You never know exactly what they're going to do, but it's scary now that I've I backed Robinson Cano and now I'm backing a Med Rosario uh, oh, man. On, the on the same podcast. And we're going to wow. talk about we're going to talk about some, another Met that I have penciled out to talk about later. So this is terrifying. But like you look at roster resource, he's projected at ninth, and that's just yeah. a major deterrent to the situation. It really, really will you know take away a lot of plate appearances. So something to keep an eye on there. I do love the Jorge Polanco call as well. Always been a big Polanco fan, so I can uh, jump on that with you also. You know what you could see with Polanco is I wonder against lefties whether he hit whether he hits uh, whether he hits leadoff with Nimmo uh, being there. I think I think Nimmo has generally struggled against lefties. That could um, be true. Rosario's hit him well. Yeah, uh, that would be that would be really interesting. I mean, from a value perspective, something to consider mm -hmm. that I think is. Uh, Oh. Um, so at least somewhat important. Oh, no, Nimmo doesn't have, he doesn't really have a, it doesn't look like he's got splits. So I just made that up. I'm glad I, I I'm glad I checked that. Nope. He looks fine. So maybe not. Uh, you never know. He could get hurt too. You never know. There but, um, after pick 20, you got, uh, you got Gene Segura, Paul DeYoung's falling quite a bit down to 22nd. I, he should not be this far down. Maybe it's the average people want to take that risk in a shortened season. Uh, you got Didi Gregorius, who's still sitting here at 23, another upside guy. Danzy Swanson, your boy Birdie, Goodrum. I love Carter Keeboom. He's already moving up. He went as high as 231 now. He is going to keep climbing up draft boards. And I like it, just to, there's still some caution to be had. You got guys like David Fletcher. William Domus is falling to almost 350, which is crazy. It's just, again, such a deep position. So what do you like after pick 20? Yeah, and I mean, and these are twelve teamers, so I think that that impacts it a little bit. But I do love Paul DeYoung. I think he is um, super undervalued. Uh, he always comes up as one of the best values when I when I take a look at my valuations for shortstops. Um, you know, he's 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 a big value. I mean, the thing is, he continuously improves the plate discipline, the contact skills um, have been improving year over year. The hard hit rate has been improving uh, year over year for DeYoung. He hits for power. He had his lowest batting average last year with his career low BABIP as well. So I think that's going to go up a little bit, not a ton, but he's going to play every day. He's going to be, I think, hitting two in that lineup probably. Um, so I, I think he's a, a spectacular guy to have. He's actually in my most recent DC, I'm short on power. And so I went with DeYoung. I, I, I reached for him a little bit. I think I got him at like 160 or 170 because shortstops were going so quick. But you know, for me, I'm, I'm totally fine paying that because I think I think he's going to provide you with the counting stats, going to provide you with the power, maybe a little bit of speed. Batting average is the only concern, but again, I don't think he's a 230 hitter. I think he's more like 250, 260 guy. 
and I can live with that at this point in my draft if I've built up my batting average earlier on, which I which I obviously try to focus focus on a little bit. Yeah, no, DeYoung is still super good. Eventually, we'll have more ADP to get some fifteen team stuff. It's just I just looked again. We have one DC to look at and nothing else, so it's a pretty tough. Yeah, none of them have finished. They're all slow, like one of the ones I'm in. Yeah. By so the way, you- this this DC that I just joined, um, uh, it's a uh, uh, Brian Slack. Um, not don't know the other guy, Steve uh, Weimer, uh, who's great, uh, great player. Um, uh, Rob DiPietro, who's a fan of the pod. I know mm-hmm. Ray Butler's in this. Uh, John Fish is in this NFBC player. Ryan Bloomfield, Ray Murphy, uh, Ian Kahn. So uh, should be should be a lot of fun. Yeah, you got a murderer's uh, row in there. I know it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit brutal. Might have to mix it up a little bit against these. Yeah. There you go. These guys. Everyone knows your strategy, but um, I'm with you. I'm gonna go on. Kershaw. As my third pitcher. There you go. Yeah, DeYoung's too cheap for sure. I think DD's got some upside still, but Dansby, after everyone talks about Dansby all the time and he's still somehow outside the top 20, it's just, I guess, the depth of the position. Uh, pretty crazy. Carter Keeboom, I talked about a lot on last Sunday. And I think the, I love the, I think the world of Carter Keeboom, he's projected to hit ninth, basically a second leadoff hitter for the Nats. But if he starts hitting, um, he could definitely go near the top of that order. A little bit of speed, good average, nice power, interesting bat. And then Willie Adamas has gone way too late. I, I, I really can't wrap my head around the Adamas, uh, Adamas at that point in the draft. If you look at his um, ATC projects, or you look at his numbers, each and every year his hard hit rate goes up, his contact rate gets better and better. So overall bat-to-ball skills improving, what you want to see. He's still super young. He's only basically had one full season, about one and a half seasons in, in, in the bigs for the most part. And then if you look at um, you know ATC projections, seven homers, only two steals, hitting 256 with 23 runs, 19 ribbies. At that point in the draft, that's still very good. Like he's not a world beater, but at pick 350, he's going undrafted in a lot of leagues. He's only been drafted in five, uh, three of the 12 leagues, let's put it that way. So I think there's a guy, even if it's on your waiver wire, obviously if you're in 15 teams and draft champions, he's getting drafted. He's just a guy that somehow going behind Jose Peraza. 43 picks after Jose Peraza. I don't understand that. I, 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 unless I'm missing something, I don't get it. So Adamus is a guy that needs a little more love. I'm just going to say that, that that's a sneaky, interesting value if you want to take that risk. Yeah, I I, to, I totally agree there. Um, he, he definitely improved second half of last year as well across the board in terms of his skills. I think I tweeted about him, uh, I don't know, like six months ago or something like that, but um yeah he's I, I agree with that that shot right there all right let's head to the outfield uber deep position as we would expect um there's gonna be a ton of good guys so i don't really know how we're gonna attack it all at once but uh, we can give it our best let's just have fun out the gate where are you taking mike trout man that is a good question he almost fell to me at 15 yeah um, oh really because i saw yeah he went I saw, um i think it was tonight's that was Wednesday night. I think I saw Ambrose just tweet out in an OC. He went as high as or as low as seventh, which I believe was the lowest at that point. So he you had him 13. go to almost 15. Wow. He went 13. Um, I, I probably would have drafted him uh, if he had kind of fallen to me at 15. Um, I know there's a huge risk there, but I think he plays, you know, uh, there was uh, Andrew Heaney um, shared something. Um, uh, uh, Mike Aheto shared uh, a tweet 
that uh, Andrew Heaney um, and the and the Angels as a whole have like agreed to wear masks all the time, which is great. Um, like all the time that they're like essentially not in their cars, you know, not in these different places. Nobody's going out to bars. Nobody's going out to restaurants. They've all kind of like come to agreement. So I think that might be a kind of a uh, a little bit of a nod to Trout and his concerns maybe. Um, so I do think that he's going to play the majority of the season, how much he misses. Like one of the thing I think that's key to factor in is if you get, you know, yes, if you miss out, it's not like you just totally miss out on the season. You're going to know he's going to be out. And so you can backfill him with some of the deeper outfield positions. So let's just say you get, you know, I can't even, is it 10 weeks or are we nine weeks the season? Um, I think it's, I want to say it's like 11 weeks. 11 weeks. So yeah. let's say it's, a, let's say it's 11 weeks and he's going to miss one or he's going to miss two, nine weeks of Mike Trout plus two weeks of replacement level outfielder. I think that is, uh, that's very good. You know, that's still going to be some elite production, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I would, I would probably draft him towards the end of the first round, assuming that my pitching targets were not necessarily available. But I would consider him as my first hitter off the board um, for sure. How about you? Okay, it's about nah, it's about ten weeks. I just looked at ten it. weeks. Yeah, give or take. So that's where we're at there. I don't mind him towards the back end of round one if if they're going to take these precautions. And I kind of mentioned this on a, in a Twitter discussion yesterday when the Fran Mill Reyes news came out that he doesn't have COVID, but they're isolating him because he went to a party and all this stuff, and they're double checking to make sure he doesn't have it. Type deal. And I said, this is a learning experience because this is when the veterans from the Indians pull him in and have a team meeting. And other teams could use this as an example to be like, hey, we want to play baseball. And it's not going to happen if you guys start doing selfish things like this. So like you mentioned how Heaney and the Angels are all going to wear masks. And because I don't know about you, Toby, but if I'm a a guy on the Angels and I know Mike Trout might not play because we're being idiots, I'm probably going to start taking every precaution underneath under the sun. Just gonna throw it out there. Totally. So um, it just takes one veteran to start, you know, going into a clubhouse and saying things like that, and like they can walk in and go quickly. Hey, he doesn't want to play the game with the team. Get him out of here. Like, there's a lot of things that are about to take place the next week that are gonna be very interesting. Um, so back to the trout thing, I would, I'd be cool with him towards the back end if you're ready to fill it. I talked with Ryan Bloomfield about it. That in theory, we don't know exactly how much time he's gonna miss. If things are going safe inside the quote-unquote bubble of the Angels, the way they're doing things, he could miss like four days and be totally fine. He won't have to isolate. That that has not come out anywhere. Any other sports, there's no required quarantine time in any other sport right now. I'm pretty sure Major League Baseball wants to face a Major League Baseball back as soon as possible. So if he – I think all he has to do is pass two tests. So if by like day three he takes a nasal swab and then day five he takes a nasal swab or whatever, he could be back real quick. And that's not that big a deal if you're taking a pick 13 because he's that good that still in 50 games, he's a monster. So what comes down to is how much time does he miss and what risk are you willing to take for that time? That's a roundabout way of saying that. Um, I could see the back end of round one. Early on, I'm going Acuna, Yelich, Betts, Bellinger. I'm going all those guys over him. So – it's a real tricky uh, situation when you're when you're looking at your outfielders for your drafts on a shortened season. Are you being super aggressive for some of the elite guys? Or are you enjoying the depth that does come in the outfield position? Yeah, I'm really you know I might get one kind of more elite guy. 
who fills a need at the top. But I really like keeping my outfield position open because it does go so deep. It goes so deep. And every time I fill my outfield early and then I get later on, I'm like, oh, man, like I could have I could have taken that shortstop or I could have taken that third baseman or that corner infielder that I was thinking about. And I didn't because because there's also a lot of guys who are dual position eligibility with outfield, you know, that I really like, like a Brian Anderson, for instance, where, yeah. you know, and so. It's just, um, for me, it's just, uh, I like to target infield first, you know, and, um, you know, not like it with the same, with the same orthodoxy as I have with kind of starting pitching, but really focusing on, on infield, if I can taking values at outfield or needs like a Victor Robles for speed or something like that, like a, a fam pre pre COVID or Loriano or some, somebody like that, who I, who I really value, who I think is really good. But then the saving it because, yeah, there's just so many guys that we've talked about before that are just, you know, your Schwarbers, your Reyes's, your Grichucks, you're like, just goes on and on, your Shinsu Chus, you know, like all those guys are there and they're available. Um, and so I, I really like leaving that outfield a little, a little open. Oh, Bubba, you're frozen. Uh-huh. Our first live broadcast glitch. I've been told that Bubba's power just went out. And so he says one second. I think he's going to be rejoining the broadcast in a moment. Um, in the meantime, uh, what I will say is it's just me now. Hello, everybody. Um, one thing I wanted to address was the earlier discussion of the three, uh, drafting Clinton Kershaw as my third pitcher. So, um, as coined by, uh, Cubby Nola, the Fanny pack pocket, ace, the Fanny packet aces. Um, and so right now the vote on that is not looking good for me having Kershaw on my team. We've got absolutely not one at 59.1%. So 60% of people say I should not draw draft Kershaw for my third pick. And then I also had uh, people asking me why I would think of doing such a thing. Um, and while I do believe very strongly in starting pitching, and I love Clayton Kershaw this year, uh, one thing that I think is important to know with Kershaw is if he stays on track with his starts based on the schedule that's happening right now, Kershaw gets the Giants to open it. And then I think he's got uh he's got the um he's got the I think Diamondbacks after that. And I think he's got one other top tough matchup. And then he's got the Giants twice. And I think the Rockies at home. Uh and then I think he's got San Diego after that. So he's got a bomb schedule uh to start off with. And so um for that reason, uh you know, Clinton Kershaw is a guy that's definitely moving up my boards um, and a guy who I would be really happy to have as my second starting pitcher. First starting pitcher, sure. I think the Ks are still a little bit of a question mark. So if you can pair him with like a high K volume guy, um, I think that Kershaw uh, could be a really, a really great contributor uh, this year. And if there's any type of like Cy Young talk 
um, you know, or bets that people prop bets that people want to put uh, money on. I think that would be an interesting one to go with just because I think the Dodgers are going to win a lot of games. They're going to be a really good team. I think they have, they're going to have a, he's going to have a pretty decent schedule. Same thing goes with Verlander tweeted about that earlier, but Verlander's got, um, uh, an absolutely fantastic schedule to start off with. Um, he's got, uh, he's got Seattle, He's got the Dodgers, then he's got at the the Diamondbacks, then he's got the Giants, uh, the Mariners again, and then at San Diego. So uh, really good right there. Uh, I'm going to check in on Bubba and just make sure that he is going to be uh, rejoining us. But uh, I'm just going to roll. We're just going to roll through this Um, since Bubba's not here. It feels lonely, um, but we're just going to keep on uh, rolling technical difficulties, power outages, Cannot stop Bubba and the bat flip from rolling on. Uh, so with the uh, with the outfielders, uh, Bubba and I were talking about Mike Trout um, right there. One guy who I think is really interesting in the top ten uh, is Starling Marte, who's also been moving up a little bit. You know, he was kind of early thirties uh, in terms of his ADP, but more recently he's been pushed up, and I think that's because he's really the la- he's really kind of the last stolen base guy in that range of the draft. Bubba, you're back. Yeah, my internet, my whole power went out of the house. That was fun. Oh, wow. And you're already back. I was just going through the top 10 outfielders. I carried on. I did a little Clayton Kershaw breakdown. Clayton Kershaw is my third pitcher lost uh, pretty epically, 60 to 40. Oh, so you're not going to pick him? It's tough. Okay. It's tough. It's all good. It's all good. But um, I had other things I was planning to try this time around. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I was talking about Starling uh, Marte and how he's moved up a little bit. Um, At least he's going earlier on in drafts, I should say, than he was earlier on, I think. Um, And I think that's probably because he's kind of that last speed uh, guy who's available. you know, in that, that second round is pretty devoid of speed in a lot of the hitters that are going. So he's kind of a, a speed option there. If you took a starting pitcher or missed out on speed in the first round. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. Acuna, many people know I, I'm absolutely in love with him. I think he's got 15, 15 upside this year and you could legit uh, see 2020 if he really wants to get going, but just those steals upside and everything else is, uh, is huge when it comes to the season. Like we talked about, uh, the rest of the guys are great. Mookie Betts, Bellinger, Yellick is awesome. I think J.D. Martinez, I'm trying to get a lot of, uh, about pick 25, back into round two. I think he's got triple crown upside in a shortened season. Uh, there's a, a ton to like with J.D. Martinez uh, where he's going in drafts. Can really He can really give you a solid foundation for a lot of your team that's going to be hard to find in a lot of places. So I think J.D. is a guy I'm really, really trying to get some of this um, – draft season and that and then Marte I'm with you could be another big steals guy Starling Marte that is not Cattell Marte um when we drop outside the top 10 you got Cattell Springer uh Jimenez Robles Judge Merrifield Bryant Stanton Blackman and Robert he's at least a Robert he's still up to pick 75 uh Stanton has creeped into the top 20 now uh, your favorite Chris Bryant's there Judge is up to 15 these guys are like Judge has gone as high as 36 already so people are buying back into the boys. What's your thoughts on this range? 
Yeah, I'm not really that into it. Um, I think Eloy is going to have a big year. I really like Eloy a lot. Um, I, I missed out on Meadows. I mean, I love Meadows as well. And I think where he's going now is a little bit more reasonable. But I think Eloy's primed to have a really big season. Um, if you're into that profile this early on in the draft, uh, he started mashing sec- second half last year and everything uh, supported it, especially his stat cast data. He was just absolutely crushing the ball. So I think he's going to have a big season. Robles is really the guy here that I like a lot. You know, we've, we've kind of talked about him a lot, so I won't go into detail about it. But I just think the stolen base potential, especially with the NLDH, no uh, starting pitcher there uh, to, to bunt him over. I think he's got a lot of value, and I really uh, like him uh, in this kind of crew of guys. And so if I don't have any speed yet and he's still around, he's the guy that I'm looking at. Yeah, no, Victor Robles is a huge one. Like you said, going on pick 63 right now, he's a great speed source, as you mentioned. If you can, um, if you miss out on some of these early guys, Robles is definitely one to target. We talked about his bat-to-ball skills like you talked about. He's projected it for 12 stolen bases. That's tied with Acuna and projection-wise at the, for second at the position. So I'm with you on on Victor Robles as a big-time option there. Outside of that, like I like Eloy. I'm just not sure. I'm going to pay pick 56 for Eloy when there's uh, Jorge Soler and some other guys coming up later. So Robles is pretty much the only guy I want in this range. Um, I'm still not buying into Judge, definitely not buying into Stanton. When Stanton says he doesn't even feel comfortable running out the ball right now because of his calf because he's only can give it one shot because it could pop, that is terrifying information. Uh, Chris Bryant's leading off now, so if you want runs, that's great. Still not there. So, yeah, it's pretty much Victor Robles is the only guy I want in this range. When you go outside, we'll do the ne- we'll do the next ten as well. You got Castellanos, who's just crushing balls every day. He bat flipped Trevor Bauer on Tuesday, which is electric factory, absolutely amazing <laughs> stuff. There, you can't get that in a, in a non COVID season. So you got Castellanos, Loriano, Gallo, who is COVID free. Tommy Pham has COVID. Jeff McNeil, Eddie Rosario, Fran Mil Reyes, Marcelo Zuna, Jorge Soler, who is I don't understand that, and then Oscar Mercado. So. I, I, I could skip that middle range and come to these next 10. What do you like in this range? Yeah. I mean, you know, let's see. Uh, Castellanos is obviously a guy. I don't particularly like him where he's going just because he's um, he's shooting up uh, so much um, in drafts. So I just think that the, the profile and, and what he gives you, I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, I think uh, fam is definitely of interest, but the price is being impacted by COVID. So if he comes back, and he looks good to go, then I think that will, that will change. Um, but it's an interesting, um, you know, just risk to take right now because I just love the, the profile. I did a video on, on fam and Loriano and, and fam. I like a little bit more, um, but Loriano also just kind of five category contributor. Uh, Eddie Rosario is a guy who's kind of back on my radar, just given, you know, the lineup that he's in and the situation, I think, um, he, uh, he is, he could be really good. He's going to be in that cleanup spot, uh, right there. And, and the guy can hit, uh, he's the fire Eagle want to be able to use that gift with, uh, with some authority this year. So we'll see. And then I think Ozuna again, if he's going like one Oh four, I'm all over that right now. Fran mill, the two weeks away is kind of a big deal. Uh, he's going to miss out on a lot of at bats, I think. And, um, you know, it's just how quickly will he, he come out um, hitting? Uh, you know, you just don't know what his setup is going to be like and how accustomed to live pitching he's going to be. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. And I just like Schwarber, who I know isn't part of this group, but I like him more 
I think than I like Reyes. Um, so that's why I would probably pass on Reyes. Uh, really like Oscar Mercado. Uh, again, I think he was a guy who was good last year. And while he maybe kind of went down a little bit as the season progressed, the skills didn't necessarily show that. I mean, ground ball rate was down, plate discipline was up, contact rate was up. Everything was what we wanted to see. Batting two in that lineup is going to be key, you know, behind Lindor, in front of Jose Ramirez, um, and Fran Mill, and Carlos Santana. I just think that's a really good spot for him to be in, and I think he's going to get you that speed. Um, and, uh, you know, the batting average isn't going to hurt you. I think he's going to give you a little bit of everything. I think the ceiling's high. I think the floor is pretty, at least for a second-year player, I feel pretty good about where it's at. How yeah, about you? He's, he's projected for six homers, eight steals, and a two fifty nine average. That's... Not bad, and I got a good. I got like a floor for him because we've we've seen the upside with Mercado. Still young, I think there's definitely a lot to like there. I love this range. I'm a big Castellanos fan. I do agree. The price is getting crazy. He's on his highest 61. He's averaging 80 right now, and every time we see him hit home runs every day, it's going to keep going up. The red schedule is outstanding. I believe they got the Tigers for interleague play compared to like the Twins or the Indians. Like that was awesome. They got that break in that. that they, get, they got the Tigers as their like rival team. Yes, instead of the Indians, they got the Tigers. I don't know how that happened, but um, I think I heard Jeff Erickson say he was surprised as well because it would have made more sense. Ohio, Ohio rival, but um, I guess what people are saying is they did it based on rank or uh, finish to the season last year. Huh. But I don't see how it's possible because the Giants faced the A's. So who are the who are the who are the Indians? Uh, I would have to double. I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's. Uh, I'll check it out real real quick. I want to uh, say John, it's probably it's probably like the Brewers or something. Um, John from um, uh, MLB yeah. Rolling Averages, he put together a great tweet of just all of the schedules, yep. which I highly recommend, pe- recommend people um, uh, check that out. I re- I retweeted it, mm-hmm. but let's see what we let's see what we got. You can, you can keep going. I'll look okay. it up right now. Uh, Loriano Fam, that's the argument we've been having forever. If Fam, I'm curious to see how the COVID hit him, if it, how the severity of it, because um, they're both very solid. I could call Loriano Fam Jr. age-wise and everything. Uh, so there's that. Franmil, I'm still in on, but I do agree. I, I have a little more trepidation. Like I'd rather go Jorge Soler. Uh, they're going about one pick apart. I'd rather go Soler. I'd rather go Schwarber uh, 12 picks later. At this point in time, but I still love the Franimal. Don't take that the wrong way. Like if anybody can, can still have an f- amazing power season and steal some bags, it's Franimal. And that's one reason why I have been a Reyes guy. Is he said he wanted to steal bags this offseason. He came into spring and was stealing bags out the gate. He lost a lot of weight. There's something to like there, but um, this is a great range if you, you know, get some pitching early, attack some other positions like you know that you're more comfortable getting those early guys, and you want say you need a five outfield league. You could load up here with like three straight outfielders at, throughout your draft and have power, some speed, guys that don't crush your averages. This is a phenomenal range. Between like 20 to 40, you can really do some damage here at outfield if you uh, are, are appropriately drafting. So what did you find out? Uh, the Pirates. Oh, so they lucked out too. The Indians get six against the Pirates, yeah. Oh, wow. I don't know. Because I mean, the Twins will play the Brewers. That would know. make sense. It makes sense for the Twins to play the Brewers, okay? Cardinals play the the Royals, so yeah, it's not big. It's not based on season finish, that's for sure. Yeah, um, interesting. All right, we'll do the next ten, and then we'll wrap up the outfield. But uh, we meant because we mentioned Schwarber, you got Benintendi, who people are starting to get hyped up on again. He's gone as high as eighty, averaging one twenty. Conforto Brantley is a great average source. David Dahl is projected to lead off right now, 
So that's interesting. Danny Santana, Byron Buxton is back, and he's got the baby swag. Something to keep in mind there. You got Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Max Kepler, and Garrett Hampson, who we just talked about at second base. So what do you like in this range? Yeah, I'm big on big into Schwarber. Um, you know, I, I just really like him as kind of my first power bat a lot of the time. So he's a guy that I'm prioritizing. It's sad to see him going up that high, but I do think that's a reasonable price to pay for him. Uh, Brantley, if you need batting average, I think is solid there. I did want to give just a little shout out for Byron Buxton because somebody in the comments did mention Buxton um, as a good source for uh, power and speed. You know, he's going, he's moving up a little bit. My only concern with him is just, he's going to hit ninth pretty much regardless of what he does in that lineup. And so my concern there is just the plate appearances that he's going to see are going to be a lot less and whether the twins are actually going to, um, I mean, they'll let him steal uh, because he's, he's got speed, but with that kind of approach, there's just a high variance approach. I just worry a little bit of, uh, about it without the plate appearances being there, but um, certainly he could be a huge, a huge boon if, uh, if he, if he pays off. Um, but those are my guys. I do like Max Kepler as well. Um, you know, 150, he's been going closer to the 200 range, I think in 15 team leagues or like 180 in 15 team leagues. Um, and I like him a little bit there just because I think he's got the plate discipline. He's got the contact skills, you know, to be pretty consistent. He was injured in September last year, which really brought down his numbers, but he was on pace for something super special, like 40 home runs, hundred, a hundred, um, just a really nice season before that injury happened. And so, uh, I think if you're short on power and, uh, I think he could be, again, you know, he's going about where he went last year and he already had the breakout. So, um, those are kind of the guys that I like in, in that range right there. Yeah. Schwarber, we've talked about him so many times, but he's projected to hit like cleanup and DH now. So you don't have to worry about the defense. But I guess this is a, a match made in heaven for Schwarber. Uh, David Dahl, there's always the injury concerns, but short in season, he's healthy. You run with it. If he gets hurt, you drop him. It's a guy that can contribute in five categories, uh, at least four and a half, we should say. Steals, he could, should get you like four, maybe five. But average is there, power, leading off for the Rockies. I think it's interesting. I do love taking the gamble on Buxton this year. And you were away this weekend. Did you see what he named – or they, him and his wife named their child? Was it Blaze? Blaze, middle name Jet. Blaze Absolutely Jet. amazing. Absolutely Blaze amazing. Jet Buxton, for sure. Yeah. That is like you, you have to be fast now. You have to be like your father. BJ uh, so, Buxton. Yep. There he's just go. gonna keep it going. So uh I think uh Buxton's definitely in play this year. And you know, if you want to go Goriel or, or Kepler or something, I'm not gonna knock it, especially at this point in the draft for power upside. It's definitely there. But Buxton and Dahl and Schwarber are my main targets in this range. Um, you, you can definitely do a lot of damage. All right, after pick 40. Um, there's a ton, ton more guys. Are there a few guys that really stand out to you as guys you're looking to target? Yeah, guys, I think will be really interesting. If you're looking for batting average late, uh, Brian Reynolds, I think is really interesting. We've talked about him before, but I also think there's some speed there potentially um, for him uh, because the Pirates have, have kind of been pretty outspoken about the fact that they're going to try to steal a lot of bases this year. So he's one guy I like um, a decent amount and I'm targeting. Um, Adam Eaton uh, is, is always reliable. Yeah, wow. Puig's at two ADP of 207. That's just unbelievable. Um, Will Myers is a guy that, I, that I'm liking more and more. Uh, he looks like he's got to change uh, to his approach at the plate. Um, he was better in the second half last year. Uh, the Padres do have seven games at Coors, which certainly helps at least a little bit there. So I do like him for power speed. The NLDH should help him get in the lineup more consistently as well. 
Uh, Ian Happ, I think, is also remains a solid uh, option. Uh, there's just so many guys. Sinchu Chu, Mark Kana, uh, really good guys. Uh, Randall Grichuk, if you're if you're short on power late, he's another guy that I really like. As I as do I really like uh, Teoscar Hernandez is a guy that I love. I just think he made some pretty concrete changes in the second half last year. I think he's going to get some run out there and uh, should be successful. Um, and one guy I'll just mention. Last guy, two two uh, Tigers outfielders. You know, depending on how the lineup goes down, but like Cameron Maven could be a really good source of stolen bases um, if he bats leadoff. And then Jacoby Jones, I really liked him a lot heading into this year, but he, you know, roster resource has him batting ninth. If he bats ninth, then I'm not that interested. If he's batting first or second for the Tigers, then I'm definitely interest, interested in Jacoby Jones. Yeah, there's a few that I like. Uh, Willie Calhoun uh, going around pick 180. I definitely like the bat-to-ball skills with Calhoun. Uh, we talked Kingery last week. Hunter Dozier going to pick 190. I think that's a little too low for Dozier. Uh, J.D. Davis going to pick 159. I don't see a ton difference between the two. So Dozier's a guy, if you want some power with some upside, you can go with him at pick 190. Uh, Abby Garcia at pick 200. Should get much more regular playing time with that DH. They're going to get Braun out of the way. I don't hate that at all. Uh, you mentioned Eaton, Puig, Ryan Braun, obviously everybody. Pick 213, take Ryan Braun. But right after him, Andrew McCutcheon leading off for the Phillies at 220. That is highway robbery. That's why there's so much depth at this position. Uh, you mentioned a bunch of guys. Since you chew, if you want steady Eddie stuff, uh, pick 240. He's there, especially in an OBP type league. Um, you know, you can go on and on. I like Austin Hayes if he's leading off for Baltimore. Uh, with the upside there. You mentioned Gritchick. If you want a guy similar to Gritchick, Domingo Santana. Depends on where he's playing, especially if Fran Mills maybe out longer than we think. That could be interesting. Lots of guys we can go to. Yoannis uh, Suspedis is DH. We'll talk about him in a minute. So yeah, Aaron Hicks is back and he's going at pick uh, three twenty three. So tons of guys down there that you could just keep. We could name off probably fifteen more each. So lots of guys to play down at those positions. All right, let's hit up some listener questions as we got some doozies on our hand tonight. Um, pulling up the first one from Eric Samolski. Um, he says, well, we want some talk about Ioannis. Are you rostering Ioannis Espedes with the DH, or is Dom Smith going to get those at-bats? Well, I think um, Espedes was a little bit interesting. There was that quote, but then when you dug deeper, and I think it was in Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News, you know, it was really Espedes playing one out of every two games, something like that. Um, and so I still think there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't have any shares of Espedes. He's been gone for a long time. He can obviously hit. But I just think that given where he's – where is he going again? What did you say? Uh, let me pull it back up. He was to, – to, to, it was two something. I just looked at it. Uh, no, 308, 309. 308. I mean, it's not a terrible, terrible go right there, but, like, I'd prefer, like, a Teoscar Hernandez um, to him, you know, in that particular instance. So, yeah, and, again, like, a lot of what he provides you is that power, which I think is readily available. So I'm uh, sure he's worth a worth a shot, but I don't think there's anything, any indication that he's going to get a majority of the, the at-bats at DH. So for that reason, I'd probably pass. Yeah, if he plays every day, I'm all in. I think there's a lot to like power-wise at that point in the draft, but he, he asked about Dom Smith. I think there's definitely a possibility we see some Dom Smith. He's got a little bit of power, you know, like a 250-ish average, uh, first base outfit eligibility. He can platoon at DH and or first base at times if uh, Alonzo needs a day off. So he might get some more at-bats than we think. Um, 
I'm like, like you said, I don't think I don't think Suspense can get as much everyday action as we thought at one point in time. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, Russ Z asks a keeper question. Three keeper league, or so you can keep three guys. He needs to keep two of these three. He already kept Pete Alonso. Two of these three: Judge, Mondesi, Real Muto, and it's a twelve-team keep forever league. He's the defending champion. Um, it depends on what it is, what the league is. If we're talking five by five, in that particular instance, if it's just one catcher. It's tough. I don't, I don't I don't love those keeper options, to be honest with you, just because Judge is very much just like Alonzo. Um, so I think Mondesi is probably in there for me just because of the speed um, and because, you know, coupled with the power, I think it, they work well together. Part of me wants to go with Real Muto because he's still relatively young um, and he's going to give you an edge this year, I think, with plate appearances. And I, I just think he's really good um, and gives you an edge there. And I just worry about Judge. I, he's just never been able to hold up. And I think you can get what he provides later on. You know, like even when he's played, even when he's played outside of his rookie season, the results haven't been all that great, have they? I mean, like they've been very good, but not. They're not. They're not. When he, when he plays, they're good. They're really good. He just doesn't play enough. Yeah. I mean, even like. So he had, he crushed in 2017. Yeah. But then in 2018, you know, 278 batting average. Last year, 272 batting average. The home runs are good. The OBP is good. But the average isn't necessarily helping you a ton. He's not really stealing bases. He hits the ball on the ground ball, the ground a decent amount. Like that's really where he's kind of regressed. And that may be a function of injuries or not. But I just don't love it. And he's also... You know, yeah, he's he's 28 already, so he's kind of in his prime right now. You know, um, so I, I'd probably go Real Muto and, and and Mondesi to be honest with you. I just think you can get what um, what Judge gives you, you know, later on, especially if it's a shallow league. Yeah, I'm going Mondesi and uh, Real Muto because, like you said, he's already got Alonzo anyways, so I don't think you really need Judge again. I just don't trust Judge's health, but. The numbers wise, like he had the monster 17, he played 155 games, played 112 and 102 the last two years. If you look at his stat cast page, those are still ridiculous numbers. It's just a matter of playing a full season. If he can play that 150 games again, he legit could be a 45 homer guy. So that that's the biggest thing with him. Everything else still pans out the same. If you look at his BABIPs, those are almost all the same. The ISO obviously dropped because he's not hit as many home runs, but uh, still very productive. I, I agree the ground balls aren't ideal, but. He just hits the ball so darn hard that uh, he gets away with a lot doing that. Strikeout rates, you know, pretty much the same, 31 to 31 and a half. Um, it's just the health with him. He's got to stay healthy. Otherwise, he becomes kind of a start. That's why I think I said when we talked about it, when Fran Mill was healthy, like Soler, Fran Mills, they're going to have the same type of season as Judge based on the fact Judge just can't play a whole season. That's just what we've seen the last couple of years. And it would have been the same case this year unless we didn't start, you know, late. He would have missed – well, he probably still wouldn't be playing yet. So this goes to show you that he just the boy is having health issues. Yeah, on, on Judge, so I just did the quick calculation. His 600-plate appearance pace for home runs over the last two years in which he has about over 900 plate appearances is 34 home runs, which is not – that's not that special. 
You know, yeah. it's not, I mean, it's good. And he scores runs, which he is great because he's in that Yankees lineup. But the power has not been the same. It, what's his, what's his 600 game steals? Because he's still, he, he has almost, you know, five to 10 steal upside as well. Uh, he's he's got nine stolen bases in those nine hundred plus plate appearances, so about one every hundred plate appearances. So like oh, the last two years, okay, so was, like six. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, it's I'm not saying he's a terrible player, but I think this is one of the things that like uh, for me that that we have to be cautious about is like people love home runs. People absolutely love home runs, and as fantasy players, we love home runs. We love to draft players that hit home runs, and they're just one category right? There's just one category. And to, for me, they're the most am the category that's available late. That's easiest to get. We've, we've covered like average runs out early short stolen bases, relatively speaking without crushing you in other categories runs out early runs runs out early, right? Cause it's all about plate appearances. And so, yes, he gets you runs, but I just think that like, we're going on the myth of judge, right? We're going on the 2017, maybe 90th percentile outcome that we, that we may never see again from a guy who's already 28 with an injury history. So I guess I just wanted to work that in there because I think we have this love of guys who hit really far home runs and guys who hit a bunch of home runs and that's great. Show me some steals and some batting average, baby. You got me. Yeah. But see what I think it is, is what I keep coming back to that season. He went off, he was healthy so obviously when he's not healthy, he's not stealing bags the way he was and the overall production drops. That's what I, I don't think it's that he can't do it because if you still look at his bat-to-ball skills, his exit velocity has been the same or gone higher the last couple of years. His barrel rate's gone up. The hard hit rates have gone up or stayed the same. So his quality of contact's the same, but I think his, his injuries have slowed him down elsewhere. So yeah, I don't know. But uh, enough Aaron Judge talk. Um Let's talk more Aaron Judge. No, I'm over Aaron Judge. That's what Judge. listeners want. <laughs> Eric Samolski asks another question. With the depth of both middle infield and outfield, are you still waiting to fill those positions and getting safe players earlier or more volatile spots considering the potential chaos of this short season? So with the depth of these positions, are you still going safe or are you going more volatile? I'm going guy who I think is the best player. I mean, I know that it's like safe and volatile don't really – like register. I mean, I think the variance is going to be higher because of the season that we're in. Like in these particular instances, I'm going to play, take the best player available thinking about what options are available late as well. So like if I have a comparable value, you know, let's say I've got like a comparable value at my corner infield spot to an outfielder. And I feel like there's more depth in outfield later of what I need then of course, I'm going to prioritize the corner infielder or whatever other position I need to fill. But, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of it is like, you know, there's only a certain point. Like I, I really screwed up in my DC. My middle infielder is Adam Frazier, you know, in my 15 team league, which isn't like the worst thing in the world, but I just blew it because Swanson went in a little bit earlier and all these guys that I wanted went a little bit earlier. Instead of taking Sterling Castro, I went with Yadier Molina to get my second catcher and that one hurt bad. And so it's just like, you kind of like, Oh, you know, mm, I needed to move a little bit quicker. So just don't get, don't get, don't get complacent. Just be trying to get that best player. Use it as a tiebreaker, the positional stuff. 
especially late in the draft. Get those guys you really like. There's what yeah, they, were, there's what, they, were, they are what make fantasy fun. What yeah, do you think? Late in the draft for sure. Take a, Get your last guys to fill your rosters. If you want to take chances, I'll take them late in the draft before early in the draft for the most part. So if uh, I try to keep it balanced early on and stay pitching heavy these days. Um, at SMMS79, he's got a few questions for us. His league is a 10-team head-to-head. He switched. They switched to auction this year, and he's never done an auction in his life. Do you generally nominate the most expensive players in any order or benefit to throwing a cheap guy out? How cheap do those last six to eight players generally cost? Any basic advice? I'll be simple with this. I don't have a ton of auction advice, but I did an awesome podcast with Ariel Cohen about five months ago that I'd highly recommend listening to. Yeah. Yeah. What do you have? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's great. I think Ariel's uh, uh, great at kind of auction strategy. They talk a lot about that on his pod, and your pod was great with him. Now, the one thing I'd say is I wouldn't just throw out the top guy every single time. Like, just think about it. Like, especially like maybe there's a hype guy that you're not into, you know, like the Nick Pavetta from last year or something like that. You know, throw him out there to get people to spend a little bit of money, you know, generate a little bit of that competition there, kind of work it in. And I think, and this is taking from what Ariel told you, I think is just to not, not be uh, predictable. Don't just put out guys that you want. Don't just put out guys that you don't want. You know, just mix it up a little bit so that people are on their edge and think about it from a strategic standpoint. Don't just don't, don't just do it randomly. You know, have a strategy behind it, but also mix it up a little bit is what I would say. And again, coming from somebody who has very little auction uh, experience. If you want that episode, it's episode 240. Bench with Bubba 240. And you're already at 300, Bubba? 302 tonight, yes. You're a machine, man. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. A um, few more questions from SMMS79. How has your value changed on guys like Biggio and Bichette? Are you uh, still off of – I know you're off of Bichette, but what's your thoughts on Biggio? Yeah, um, you know, I think Bichette – I mean, AL East is the, one of the best divisions to be in if you're a hitter. So, um, you know, I think I think he gets a little bit of a bump. And I think it depends on which, which projection system you look at. I just think that there's very, there's very narrow. I just don't believe in the stolen bases is my biggest thing with Bichette. I don't believe in the stolen bases at all. Um, so, which makes him, him lack value for me. Um, so I'm not into him. I think Biggio is interesting, but again, it's going to take a massive change in his plate approach. Like he strikes out a lot cause he's super passive and he hits the ball in the air a lot, but he's, got terrible stat cast data. Like his max exit below, I think is like 104.3, which is very, very low. Now he could improve that because he's still a young guy. He could be a little bit more aggressive earlier in the count, maybe on, you know, on the first pitch, something like that to improve. He could just get lucky in a shorter season and the batting average could improve. I think he's fine, but he's not necessarily a guy that I'm targeting uh, on purpose. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier at shortstop, I like Bichette a lot still, but it's hard for me to take that pick with like a guy like Tim Anderson going shortly after him. It's just it's hard for me to to take that point in the draft where I could take a good pitcher or something along those lines. So I don't know how much Bichette I will have. But when it comes to Biggio, I'm not there right now, but I could see that's a guy if you want to take a chance, I could see the upside. Because we talked about him a lot. The OBP is great. His plate discipline is pretty solid. It's almost too solid for his own good. If he gets more aggressive – we could see more of the power. We could see maybe a better average and things change a little bit. It might be worth waiting and seeing how 60 games goes and come at him next year too. So it's kind of tough to say with Biggio. 
in um, OBP leagues, yeah. OBP great. for sure. Much more, much more valuable. Yeah, I love for him sure. in OBP leagues. In fact, I'm still pissed off that Sammy Reed drafted him in our Barf League. Uh, Sammy, Sammy, Sammy. Um, he's hearing lots of people defer to vets this year due to many unknowns and a shortened schedule being less taxing. Are you um, are you going more vets or do you care about – I'm not really worrying about the age of the player so much as just the quality of the player. Yeah, I mean, I think there might be something to the vets for pitchers. That's where I've heard it most in context, like just the guys who have kind of been through this before and um, you feel more confident in them. But in a lot of ways, like Verlander was injured early in the year, but a lot of those guys were already high up on boards, right? Like your Max Scherzer's or um, your Kershaw's or, you know, those guys who kind of throw volume innings. So I think it's more a focus on volume than it is necessarily about age. So I think that's what I would say is like, you just go for the best player. Like, and that's why projections are beautiful is because, you know, there are some players that they miss on, you know, at the extremes, they may not work, but generally speaking, like they're pretty, they're better than, I think that they're better than most of us are at doing them, you know? And so I think that's always really helpful um, uh, to have, you know, look at those innings pitched leaders, you know, things like that. And then factor things in, right? Like with the Walker Bueller news. Well, with Bueller saying that he's he's a slow starter, we've seen that in the past. Maybe he's not going to go five in his first couple games. Maybe it's just the first game, whatever it is. Just kind of factor that in. Those, those aren't things that projections are going to catch on to. So use that projection, integrate the information that you have available at your fingertips, and then draft the best player, you know, um, uh, for your team, you know, however old they are. And maybe there's slight differences in variance, but it's not because of age. It's because of the level of performance or the skills that that particular player has. Yeah, 100% agree. I think I get the uh, the grizzled vet uh, is going to throw more innings out the gate type strategy. I get that for sure. I'm, I'm on board that strategy for most of them, obviously, each case by case. But also, I agree with your projections. That's why we I mention them a lot. We mention them a lot on the show. They're not the end-all, be-all, but they're pretty darn good. They're better than anything I can make. So it's definitely a good referencing point. And secondly, like you, you mentioned hearing news here, there, there's news all the time. Like all of a sudden today, Chris Bassett's going to be five to six innings. We're seeing all these different guys that are getting stretched out, stuff like that to just keep an eye on that as the weeks go on. A reason why I keep trying to say, try not to have your important drafts till closer to the season if you can. Get as much information as possible as we're doing all that. Um, which middle infield outfielders might benefit from the NLDH enough to make you target hard? Um, I'll give you one. There's many. We've talked about them before, but mine, I'll just stay on brand here. I'll say Ryan Braun. I'll leave your guy for you. Who's my guy? Will Myers? John Birdie. John Birdie. Well, I mean, he's <laughs> going to get five to six uh, plate appearances. I can't really say John Birdie's my guy because I just keep on not drafting him. So maybe he's not my guy. Uh, one guy who I think benefits tremendously is Starlin Castro. We yes. touched on him earlier in the year, earlier in the podcast, but I just think like it's not that he's going to be the DH necessarily, but it just frees up him to be playing every single day. If there was any question about that happening, I think that that is, you know, I think that's something that's going to happen. And I, um, I think that he'll benefit. I think Will Myers will benefit tremendously from that as well. Um, you know, so I think there's a number of guys and there's a number of podcasts that are on the NLDH, including one that we did and, including one that you've done as well with, I think, Vlad Sedler. So, um, yeah, definitely check those out for a more in-depth look at who we think might benefit from NLDH. Yeah, because I know, like, the, especially the one we did a couple weeks back or whatever, 
it wasn't just the guy that's going to DH. It's how it trickles down the team. Like you mentioned Castro and others. It's like, it's a, like a Phil Dussault mentioned it when I talked to him, it's 15 new positions one way or another. If it's a guy moving to the DH, it opens or someone else. So you got to think of it that way. It opens up a lot of ways to break it down. So yeah, go check out some of the past work we've done. It'll help you out quite a bit on that. But Toby, that's the last listener question. So that'll wrap us up for the week. Final thoughts. Uh, you got any new s'mores coming up your sleeve this weekend? Uh, what do you got going on? No, uh, the campaign is over. But if anybody's interested in s'mores, if you dig s'mores, check out uh, the thread that I put out. I tried five different types of s'mores. Where'd you get uh, all those ideas at? You know, um, so peanut butter cup is just like something that we always do. Yeah. It's kind of like always there. I wanted to do, to, do, to do Kit Kat because it made sense intuitively that that would be good. Like I, I mentioned on the thread, but like the wafer, I just think is like, the thing is you have the hard graham cracker crap. You have the hard graham cracker. You got the super soft marshmallow in the middle. So what you need, you can't have another crunch in there or else it's too firm, which was the problem with Snickers, right? Because you got the nougat right. that doesn't, nougat, nugget, nougat, whatever, that uh, doesn't melt. And then you have the peanuts too. So it's just like a little bit too much. Like it just feels like a Snickers bar in the middle of graham crackers and marshmallows. The wafer makes a ton of sense. Uh, it's crispy enough, but it is, but where you notice it, but it's not, uh, it's not crunchy or firm. And then the malty kind of taste of that Kit Kat along with the chocolate, but it wasn't enough chocolate. And so then there was Reese's and then um, Dave, um, David, is it Mendelssohn? Yeah, uh, Mendelssohn, yes. Yeah, David Mendelssohn um, of... Um, Triple Play Fantasy. Triple Play Podcast. Thank you very much, Bubba. Um, he re- recommended uh, uh, Oreo cookie and cream. Yeah, uh, that Hershey's sounded bar. good. I, I never thought of that, but I oh, like that bar. That it's sounds really good. good. I love that bar to begin with. So he said that and it made sense. And it's not, it doesn't have the chocolate flavor necessarily. It's got the little bit of crispy. They're not like mm-hmm. chocolate chips or like crispy little chips in there, you know, like little cookies. A little like and, white um, chocolate almost to it, a little change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's just it's delicious. <laughs> it's smooth. Yeah. It's very good. It's very, very good. But the ultimate one, and this was just by sheer luck. I mean, uh, my wife, yeah. she 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 just bought it at the store. I'd never even heard of it. It's amazing. Oh, see, now it makes sense. It makes sense now. Because I was wondering where you thought of this. My wife loves I, the dark one. Wasn't me. Yeah. Wasn't I was me. wondering oh, where you got this. Way, dude. Dark oh, chocolate I, is I, the I way. See, she loves I'm, it. I'm, I'm on like, dark chocolate. I'm like guy. 75 to 85 percent of my dark chocolate. That's oh. what I need with a little hint of sea salt in there. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Maybe I'll try that next time. But the Kit Kat was mint with dark chocolate. Was the combo Kit Kat bars? I love mint everything. I love mint ice cream. Yes. Mint is I great. Love mint. It's just an amazing flavor. And so you had like the mint flavor in there to carry the day. You had a little bit of the dark chocolate with the dark chocolate, and you had the perfect texture of the wafers in the middle of that, I was, she only got one small bar and I was like looking for it the rest of the weekend. Like where is this mint dark chocolate bar? That's all I want to eat. So that one won out. But anyways, that's a recap. Uh, check out the thread. If you have any other ideas, let me know. I'm always, I'm always down. I think there's going to be some more camping that's going to be happening this summer. We really enjoyed ourselves. So I'd, I'd imagine, I'd imagine there's a Ghirardelli store in the Roseville area. I know San Francisco has it. Monterey's got one. If you then they have like the perfect size for a s'mores, like an each flavor, they have like 40 something flavors. We're gonna have to get you through there and just like a few of each one, just go on a freaking mission. It'd be did, great. Did you used to go to that Ghirardelli's when you were younger and get a banana split? 
Uh, we we still I don't get a banana split anymore, but my wife was a chocolate aficionado even before she was pregnant. So okay. if we're in Monterey, we go to the Ghirardelli place. It's That's just a tradition. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Hey, um, yeah, this is the this might be the last pod before you uh, you become a father. How are you? How are you feeling? Good. I hope so because we're just like literally want it to happen. It's just the waiting yeah. stinks. So uh, I hope it is. Uh, you never know. These things do their own thing. But uh, as much as I love podcasting, I really want this to happen. So it'd be kind of be good to to say the next time we record that yes, I am a father, and it's happening and i'm sleeping even less now that'd be great so <laughs> that's part of the plan well good good luck to you guys I, I hope it happens soon for you and uh i'm really excited for you guys i appreciate it but uh we will be back with you hopefully next week maybe not on monday we'll see when it is but we will uh make something happen if not toby might just be by himself or he might get a guest or he might do something i don't know but uh oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll, fig- we'll figure something out, but uh, don't forget to follow Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDNTrick. This is Bubba in the BatFlip43. Catch you guys next time. That is going to wrap us up for episode 139 of the BatFlip Crazy podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Always appreciate it. We are getting into the nitty-gritty of draft season here uh, in July. Uh, Season starts in about two weeks, um, which is both uh, exciting and a little bit, uh, just a little bit, a little bit crazy right now with everything that's happening in the world. But um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We'll get to the starting pitcher and relief pitcher uh, preview review uh, next week. So definitely check that out. Um, In the meantime, best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball drafting. Take care and be kind to one another.